Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur. Uh, as always, it's Matt here. And this week, I'm joined by a very special guest. We have uh, Sean Malloy from the Dolph Lundgren podcast, I Must Break This Podcast. Uh, welcome back, Sean. Hey, thanks for the invite. This is, uh, <laughs> I, I wish it could be under better circumstances, but um, I think we are, we are still going to have a fun conversation regardless. So, yeah, no, I think that the idea that we had for this, this episode, I think we, we kind of birthed this idea maybe um, back when I was last on your podcast. I think we talked about expendables and um, I think I had planned to have you on earlier in 2021 and uh, things just got a little bit hectic for me here. But I, I think that the idea that we have for this podcast, I think it's, I think it's still going to work out for us for sure. Well, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, Bruce Willis, uh, boy, oh boy, I don't even know where to begin with these productions, but all of these films are interchangeable. I mean, they really are. I mean, they're all interchangeable. The titles are all interchangeable. Um, The characters are just about all the same. Um, I mean, these movies are all, for the most part, just, you know, completely disposable. They're, they're, they're put together. I feel like what is the equivalent of like an assembly line and, um, and then just kind of spit out. So, I mean, you could have picked, I mean, I, I think we talked about quite a few um, options, but I mean, you could have picked that one with Michael Chiklis, 10 minutes gone. You could have picked uh, uh, survive the night, survive the game. Uh, what is the other one out of death? I mean, all these titles that don't make any sense. And they, and it, we, we would have, uh, we would have been having the exact conversation. So <laughs> Yes. It's funny because this movie, um, I think there's a seed in this movie with a boat that has, um, instead of MS for the, the, the two-letter um, state abbreviation, because the, the movie is shot in Mississippi, um, instead of having MS, they do have MI, which is Michigan, which is, you know, thinking of assembly line. I know a lot of these are shot in Michigan, even though this one wasn't. So um, I guess now that they don't make as many cars in Michigan, now they make these, they pump out these direct-to-video movies. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, boy. It's funny because I and I've been saying it for a while. <coughs> Excuse me, but um, I feel like Jean Claude Van Damme. Uh, he's he's for the most part, I think he he's pretty much retired. I mean, we'll see him pop up in a few in a few. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I've I've long been you know kind of disappointed because I, it's like, man, I, I'd love to see Jean Claude 
pop up in something else again. But I think the big reason why we can pretty much consider him to be essentially retired is because of projects like this. You know what I mean? Like if this is the state of direct to video action cinema, especially for these, for these guys who let's face it are old men now who are over the hill. Um, I feel like, you know, it, it was wise for Jean-Claude to, you know, kind of step away and he can afford to step away. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how he was with his, with his money back in the nineties, but um, you know, I think he's at a state where he can pretty much afford to step away, rest on his laurels and be remembered for the hits. Bloodsport, Time Cop, Universal Soldier, all of those. Um, if he was not retired, I think it's safe to say we'd probably be seeing him pop up in junk like this as well. And uh, so, you know, I mean, you got you to hand it to uh, uh, Mr. Van Damme. I think that's some artistic integrity, you know. And if you look at a guy like Bruce Willis, I mean, this is a guy I don't think he really needs to work. But for whatever reason, he is constantly putting these things out. And what's really a shame about it, I think I, you and I were talking about this. I was texting you. What's really a shame about it is, okay, yeah, a guy like Van Damme, he's going to be remembered for blood sport. He's going to be remembered for those big hits. But then you have Bruce Willis. It's almost like he's just crapping on his legacy. And this is the garbage that he's going to be remembered for. And that, I think, is the real uh, tragedy in this in this whole whole ordeal. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Cause one thing, you know, this actually kind of uh, dovetails a bit with, um, you know, your most recent podcast as of as of us recording this, um, where you talk to uh, director of Pups Alone, Alex Merkin, which is, you know, I mean, you, you see a Dolph Lundgren Christmas movie called Pups Alone that's coming out and you think, boy, this has got to be, you know, just like goofy, silly stuff. And it's almost there's almost a sense of like, oh, boy, what, what is Dolph doing with his career? But you know, you know, hearing that podcast when you talk to the director, um, Alex Merkin, about it, you know, he was like, no, Dolph didn't treat it like that. Um, that you know, like you know, one of the things we're going to talk about with Bruce Willis is he doesn't like to do his overdubs or his, you know, his ADR or anything like that. Whereas Lundgren makes sure that like he's like he was. I think he, what did he say? He was doing it over Zoom in the studio of another movie that he was shooting. You know, it's like some of these guys just have a little bit more, even if they're doing roles that we would think of as goofy, like they kind of still, you know, I think Lundgren, for example, he's still kind of picking something that he thinks he can have fun with that he can enjoy. And he's not mailing it in. It's not like, just like here's Dolph sleepwalking through uh, a cartoon movie with dogs with, you know, um, you know, actors like Danny Trejo doing the voices for it. Yeah. He's, he wants to put in a good performance still. Oh, definitely. And that's, I mean, when we talk about artistic integrity, I feel like that is, I mean, there's a guy who, you know, no matter how big, no matter how small the production is, he is going to deliver. I mean, and there's a few performances, you know, over the years, I will say, you know, um, there were paychecks. I mean, you look at a film like Shark Lake that uh, that Dolph did. I mean, that one was, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Um, Another one called Forgotten, where, you know, you can tell he's just He's there, you know, for his minimum six days worth of work, and then he's he's checking out. But then, yeah, you get a little film like Pups Alone, which I have not seen yet. But um, and I, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'm not expecting it to be this amazing award winner or anything. But you know, speaking with the director who was so high on it, and I mean, and I'm not going to lie, I don't know if you've seen the trailer or not, but if you watch that trailer. Dolph looks to be having a blast. I mean, he looks to be having a, just a ton of fun in this silly little ridiculous movie about talking dogs on Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, what is this here? But, um, 
you know, he's uh, he he seems to be invested for you know for uh, whatever reasons. So that's I mean, and that's pretty refreshing to see, especially when you know I just got finished watching this this film called Precious Cargo, where we're we're told that Bruce Willis is is one of the stars in it, and he's not even in the film for five minutes, and that seems to be his mo with all of these movies. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was I was looking through Bruce Willis's career on IMDb because I I think one of the things that happens with with some of these stars, like kind of like you said, like you know, he starts to get rem- remembered for this, right? He gets remembered for doing these kinds of things, and. You know, I think the funny thing, too, is, you know, almost forget, like, I don't know that we forget, but, you know, pre-Die Hard, he was this guy who was doing, like, comedic roles in, like, Blake Edwards films, and, you know, he had Moonlighting, which was, you know, he was, like, part romantic, part, um, you know, uh, comedic lead with uh, opposite Sybil Shepard, and and so he does Die Hard. And I think, one, it changes the game completely, right, with action, where suddenly we don't need these big muscle-bound guys to do action. It's like, oh, if we can put Bruce Willis in an action film, we can put anybody in an action film. Um, but then also, you know, he still was kind of doing some of those comedic roles through the 90s. At the same time, he's doing these action films um, that, you know, varying degrees of, of, of quality. With some, I mean, they were big-budget films, but, you know, they – I mean, striking distance, some of those were, you know, they're not the best. But – um. He he's still kind of doing those, and he's also doing iconic pictures like like um, like Pulp Fiction, Fifth Element, um, Twelve Monkeys. It, it's interesting. I, it looked like for me when I was looking at his career, it seems like 2010 is is sort of the, the the point where where all of this starts, where he does Red, and he's kind of doing doing you know he, he did a couple of big budget films, but it seems like this is where you start to get this DTV stuff. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, and let's face it, he's the the guy is well past his prime. Um, which, you know, I mean, look at a, a age is a mother. I mean, can we just say that? I mean, it, it happens to us all, you know what I mean? And so he's well past his prime. Um, I think even when this, uh, this change that we're seeing started happening, I don't think he was uh, getting the best roles and the best work was coming his way. I mean, even if you want uh, look at a theatrical film like red, okay. With that had, you know, uh, you know, six times the budget as, as something like this, um, but even if you watch something like that, you can tell that he um, is just a little tired um, and doesn't seem entirely invested, doesn't seem to care anymore. He did that other one uh, directed by Kevin Smith with uh, Tracy Morgan. What was that? Cop Out. Cop Out. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that one yet. I've been meaning to just because Kevin Smith, too. It's interest- it, it, it intrigues me. Yeah, well, and in that one as well, I mean, he does have a couple funny moments, you know, but you can tell in that one that he's just going through the motions. And I feel like he's a guy who just kind of lost his uh, lost his edge, lost his fire, and kind of lost his, his reason and his passion for acting. Because, I mean, look, the guy, I mean, I don't want to mitigate his, his talents. I mean, the guy is amazing. Obviously, Die Hard is one of the films that he'll be, you know, forever known for. But he did another one back in... Nine, uh, what was it? Nineteen ninety nine. It was a it was a bizarre Disney movie called The Kid. Okay, oh, and yes. the only and the only reason I I remember this is because it was on Disney Plus, and I was watching it with my kids. And you watch it, and I mean, and that came out right around the time of uh, the Sixth Sense, and right after because I think if I remember right, he had like a production deal with uh, Disney at the time, and so he did that. He did The Kid. He did Armageddon. And he did Sixth Sense. All And they, these were all monster hits, not just for Disney, but for Bruce Willis. And you watch all of those films, and he is just, 
I'm going to use a term that you've used before, Matt, but he's just electric in those movies. But And in the kid in particular, he's funny. He has a few dramatic moments. And you watch it, and it's like, man, this is a dude who, it's no wonder this was, this guy was one of the biggest stars of the 90s. I mean, this is amazing. And then you watch these films that he's doing with these uh, these dopes over at EFO, and his his lids are barely open, you know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's, it's so sad. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you're not going to be number one, if you're not going to be on set for more than just a couple days, and if you're not really going to be invested, you know, fans, I don't think really care to see it. You know, why don't you pull a, a page out of, uh, out of Van Damme's book and just, you know, kind of slowly uh, go off into the distance. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I because I think what it is is I think yeah, I mean, what is he? You know, I mean, you know, this film, Precious Cargo, that we're about to discuss. I mean, is he in three locations? I mean, so he's really in one location, right? It's, it's mostly all at the hotel. Or his his scenes are at that that this big hotel. And is is there another location? It like the the the, the, the rooftop. The the rooftop. That's that's right. Yeah. And that's still in the hotel, right? That I mean, it's like I think the the shootout with the um the the armored car in the, the garage. Is that still in the hotel too? Is that like the, the hotel yeah. garage? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very clear with all of these films and I don't know who is picking up a Bruce Willis movie in 2021 and thinking, you know what? I think this, I think this has potential to be good or, or better yet. I don't know who is picking up one of these movies and saying, Oh, cool. A new Bruce Willis movie. And then afterwards is pissed off that, Oh man, he was only in it five minutes because that's, that's the gimmick and that's the, uh, uh, the, the lie that we're essentially being, being uh, sold here. But yeah, he's on set for maybe only two, three days. I wouldn't be surprised to be perfectly honest if it's maybe one day. And right. what they do is they just uh, film those scenes and then kind of sprinkle them throughout the film. This film in particular, they really don't even sprinkle them throughout the film really at all. It's only, you know, a small collection of scenes. But, you know, what I said earlier about how he was just so electric and how he, you know, sucked the air out of the room and the films that he was in, in these, you almost, I mean, and one, I can't speak to the other films because I haven't seen the other ones, but in this one in particular, you almost forget that he's even in the movie. You know what I mean? You almost forget that he's even a presence. He's even a character. It, it almost feels completely like his character is tangential to where um, you could write it out completely. I mean, and... I have a few theories as to how something like this even got off the ground, but, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, you know, you, you talk about, you know, Bruce Willis being electric. One of the, the, the greatest um, roles that he did for me in his early, early career was um, he did a guest spot on Miami vice where he played this mob boss who was abusive towards his wife and just had like this raging, like just this absolute rage in him. And of course you've got, you know, this is juxtaposed with, you know, with Crockett's, you know, smooth, like, you know, you know, kind of like, you know, kind of laid back demeanor or, you know, sort of like, you know, intense, but also not like that kind of that kind of rage. And, and one of the things I think about with that episode, of course, is that his character, because he was so like bold in the way he did his scenes as a bad guy in that episode, his his presence is just sort of permeating everything that's happening in the in the episode. Um, and granted, it's only a forty five minute episode, but like what you just said there about this film, where you have to remind yourself that Bruce Willis is in it, um, 
you have to remind yourself that Bruce Willis is, is the baddie. Um, and they, it's almost like the characters have to keep propping up his baddie by talking about how bad he is. And um, I just think of that one scene where he catches this guy, um, him and you know Daniel Bernhard, who um, we see a lot here, the DTV connoisseur, um, who um, is his hatchet man. They catch this guy who I guess has been feeding Claire Forlani for, for um, what the, the jobs are that he's been doing. And there's this understanding that, boy, this guy, he's going to get it. You know, it's, it's going to be really bad. But <laughs> because Bruce Willis really can't care less that he's there, um, there isn't any sense of, like, even though this guy's going to get it, he is going to die. And he's probably going to die a horrible death that we don't see on screen. There isn't any tension with it because Bruce Willis isn't giving us any tension. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and it's, it's, I I guess at a time it was fairly novel. Uh, Okay. Bruce Willis. Wow. He's, he's playing the villain, you know, for a change, you know, he doesn't get to play the villain very often, but I mean, if you look at all of these, uh, these films that he's done with, with EFO in the past few years, most of them he's playing, uh, he's playing the bad guy. And what it is, is he's playing the bad guy who gets to, I guess, dress fairly nice uh, we will say, um, but he's pretty much the bad guy who gets to sit most of the time and, you know, shout orders over the phone or, you know, act threatening over the phone. And that's all done, you know, to give him as little to do as possible. It really is a, uh, um, you know, I would say that they're swindling audiences, but I'd like to believe at this point in 2021, now that we've been seeing this, you know, permeate for shoot what the past, you know, seven, eight years or so, I'd like to think that audiences are, are onto it at this point. But, you know, in the end, I don't think these movies are made for audiences. These, these films, these producers who are bankrolling these things, they're pretty much uh, funding them purely off of foreign sales. So once they get those foreign sales, um, they quickly make the movie and get it in the can and move on. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a whole lot of time put into the post-production process. I really don't think the directors or anybody are even sitting back and, you know, looking at the dailies and trying to <laughs> figure out how to uh, put these things together. It's, it, it's really um, one of the uh, dirty aspects of, of, of movie making these days. Yeah, no, no, that that's absolutely for sure. Like, they, they, like one of the things, one of the things um, that uh, I'll, I'll joke sometimes with uh, Ty um, uh, from Comeuppance Reviews uh, podcast, um, who uh, he, you know, he, he, he and I, um, you know, sometimes he and his, his brother Brett will be guests on here. Or I'll be guests on their podcast a lot. Um, but um, they, they, he refers to the term fake shemp because um, of, you know, back when um, in, in the Three Stooges, um, when uh, Shemp, I guess, dis- I don't know what, I can't remember what the story was with Shemp, but he, I don't know if he like, he left, but he was still under contract or something. Like they still had to deliver episodes of, of the show with him. So they put fake guys in and made them look like Shemp. Okay. <laughs> and so that's what the description is for all of the, the stunt doubles that uh, that Bruce Willis uses is the fake shemps um, because he never does his his um, his you know what what is that the um, reverse shots uh, so whenever somebody's talking to him on a, in a scene um, those shots that are supposed to be over his shoulder looking at that person that's not him it's never him no. um, he's he's got a bald guy a, a fake shemp who's standing there I mean you, you got to think like in, in in Mississippi Michigan or wherever Louisiana or wherever these films are being shot that they must just go out and look for as many bald guys as they can and just put them in the same suit that that, that Willis is wearing and just put them you know in the background I mean I think at the you know the end of this the, the movie which uh, spoiler alert maybe I should give everybody a warning right now because when we get into this film I don't think we can talk about it without giving away aspects of it so there are going to be some spoilers so if you if you want to see it and and you want to be completely uh 
uh, spoiler free. You may want to pause us here and come back after if you're really that interested in seeing the movie. But um, but um, when he dies, I don't think that's him. I don't think that's him who gets shot. I think um, no, it, it's over the back. So yeah, it's kind of this this fake Shemp phenomena. And again, the the ADRs are the the overdubbing. It's always kind of a game to see like how many times you can hear somebody that doesn't sound like Bruce Willis um, doing the overdubbing. Um, that uh, whoever's trying to do an impression of Bruce Willis, and it's it's it, it, it sometimes like you say that I, I, sometimes with these movies they're just like you got to get this in at a certain time. We you know I think going back to your your, your Pups Alone podcast um, that you did with Alex Merkin, where Merkin said that you know they halted production of that film until they could get the principals back to shoot the scenes. And so the film started in 2017 and wasn't finished until now. I don't think any of these movies would ever be allowed to pull something like that. You, you got to get it all done in that, that quick period. So yeah, they, they cut corners and you, you can see when the corners are cut. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I remember, I mean, shoot, it seems like a week doesn't go by where a new trailer for, <clears throat> for a new Bruce Willis movie doesn't come out. And I remember hearing about um, the the one that he did uh, called Fortress or whatever. I remember when that one, hearing that that was uh, going to start commencing filming just what seemed like a few months back. And the trailer for that is already out. And I think that's going to be dropping here in the next month or two or whatever on on demand. I mean, you can't tell me. I, I almost kind of wonder with these films. I almost, oh boy, I don't think there are really scripts in place. Right. to be perfectly honest for them. I think, and I could be completely wrong. And if I, if I am completely wrong, you know, then, then I, I apologize now, but what it feels like to me is, okay, they have Bruce Willis on retainer. Okay. For a certain number of days. Okay. We need to fill our quota and get our Bruce Willis movie shot. Okay. Well, what can we do? And so I feel like these, these guys, EFO, so this is, uh, Emmett Furlow and uh, I believe Oasis Productions. Okay, so what they do is they have Bruce Willis. They kind of finagle some things. They wrangle some other actors together, and I think they have a few uh, scriptwriters again on retainer. And they ask, okay, throw together whatever you can at the moment that is going to utilize what we have here. So in that way, we can uh, you know get our money back. I mean, and and it almost feels like kind of like a like a dirty money laundering operation in a way, you know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, would you be surprised if we found out that that's what it was that like one of the big, like, you know, like, like, uh, you know, like Washington post or one of those like big newspapers, like one of us is just like looking through and we're like, Oh my Lord. Like, like this is like, you know, all these Bruce Willis movies, it was a money laundering scheme. Like, you know, like launder cash. I mean, it's actually a great way to launder money if you think about it, because movies, I mean, these movies tend to lose money um, or they, they, they tend to barely make back what they're supposed to get. So yeah, if you throw $5 million of drug money into uh, um, something like this, yeah, it's easy to kind of, uh, you know, there you go. There's our money. It's, it's all, it's all through there. Um, But yeah, I mean, the script part of it, you know, this film in particular, you, um, you know, with the writing credits, it has one writer and then it has the director as a writer as well. Um, <laughs> and it seems like whenever there's multiple writers on a film, that that's always a sign that somebody wrote it and they thought the script was good enough. But let's fix it to make it. And, and who knows what the fix it was, the fix it might have been like, let's 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 cut Bruce Willis's part down. Let's put him in one location. Um, who knows? Maybe they create the, the, the Daniel Bernhardt character so that, that you know, his hatchet man. So uh, Bruce Willis doesn't need to go anywhere. I don't know. 
Well, and all this is is a heist thriller, which right. which you know is is fine. I mean that that's a uh, that's a genre and a trope that we've seen duplicated numerous times. Okay, but what what is unfortunate is they don't really add anything new to the heist thriller uh, uh, genre, subgenre, whatever you want to call it. It's pretty much there after diamonds. Of course they are. And I mean, and it's pretty much just a matter of, okay, who's double crossing who Claire Forlani comes in and she's very, very seductive. And uh, uh, of course, you know, she's the femme fatale. So, oh, is she double crossing Mark Paul Gossler's character? And it's not much of a surprise, spoiler alert, that she is, you know, I mean, and so... That that's why I almost I I can't imagine. I mean that that's the I, I really again I I really want to speak to these guys, but I can't imagine that there was a script floating around. Okay, precious cargo. It was a um a heist thriller with a suave young you know Mark Paul Gossler esque character who you know liked to shoot golf balls out into the ocean or whatever, who gets roped into stealing diamonds, you know, for a crime boss or whatever. And EFO saw the script and they said, yes, this would be perfect. Oh my God. We have Bruce Willis on retainer. You know what? Mark Paul Gossler, he's been knocking on our door. We, he needs a role that this sounds amazing. You know what I mean? I honestly feel like it was backwards. Okay. It was, Hey, Bruce Willis is open for three days. Okay, let's find whoever else we have is available. And hey, uh, uh, I don't, I didn't get the writer's name, but hey, can you throw together a script real quick that's going to utilize not just the stars but the location that we have? That's honestly what it feels like, like was done here. And I think when you're going into it in that fashion, then you're losing any kind of excitement <laughs> whatsoever. You know. Yeah, actually, you know, you know, actually, you make a great point because I looked up the director, Max Adams, and he has only four director credits. Um, so he's got, a, I guess there's a short called Precious Cargo um, that he directed that maybe is where this came from. Um, maybe. Yeah, that is. It's actually where this came from. It came from the short. Um, so he came up with this short initially, and then I guess he must have worked with somebody else to flesh it out. Um, but the other thing that Max Adams is working on right now, he is credited with doing the rewrites to expendable four um he's doing the revisions on that screenplay so this is the kind of guy this is this is the you know make this something work for us um i I, there's a a director that i talked to um his name is jay horton who um now he does mostly like indie um uh uh, documentary stuff um but um i had talked with him because you know he was he was you know indie horror director um he did you know uh film noir kind of things um and he was tasked with something similar where they were like here's this script that was originally going to be used for telenovela um then it was going to be used for um you know a a latin uh uh, romance film here in america we decided to turn it into more of a seductive thriller with an urban you know uh, with you know more like an urban film um and we need you to fix it for us (laughs) and he's just like okay i'll do what i can um and it it, you know, there were some scenes in it that were really good, but when you hear that from him, that this is what I had to work with, you know, I had to kind of take something that had been rewritten four times and make it into something for somebody because they want us to have something. Um, yeah, you, you wonder if, like, this, maybe the, Max Adam, I mean, that's kind of one, one of his gigs, right, is that, you know, take your, your, your um, you, you know, I mean, it looks like he, he did script continuity stuff for Bumblebee as well, so he's he's kind of doing that kind of stuff, Um you know, that just kind of let's let's fix these movies and make them work the way we want them to work. So, yeah, I guess that's what, you know, they had him doing here with Precious Cargo. Um, so, yeah, it's like he had this 
this this short film, and I guess they said, let's make it into a big movie, and we'll, like you said, we've got you know Bruce Willis, we've got uh, Mark Paul Gosselaar, let's just throw these names in here, and then you know the key thing, of course, is now when you're scrolling through Prime, you're scrolling through Tubi, um, you know wherever this is available, and you see these names, you say, oh. Yeah, I, I'm Mark Paul Gossel. I, I used to like Save by the Bell. What's he up to? I haven't seen him in anything recently. Oh, Bruce Willis, of course. You got to love Bruce Willis. Let's check this out. And, and then you get into it and you're like, hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like a, it, it's almost kind of like those as seen on TV things that like they look fantastic. Um, these little gadgets, they seem great. And then you buy them and get them home and they don't really work the way that they did in the commercials. Well, I think the, um, I think the, the business model uh, that these guys have uh, have been using with Bruce Willis is actually almost fascinating in a lot of ways. And th- that's what I was kind of looking forward to talking with you about. Okay. So if I, if I understand it correctly, and again, uh, if I'm speaking out of turn, but this is what it feels like. Okay. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm about 99% accurate here with what they're doing is okay. They're saying, all right, we have, we have a project here with Bruce Willis here. Okay. So obviously Willis is a guy he's past his prime, but he is still marketable. Okay. We can still sell, um, this, this package, this product overseas with his name on it. We can still market the film with, uh, with his name. So that's what we are going to do. However, this is also, these are low budget films. Okay. So these films really can't afford Bruce Willis and his price tag for more than two to three days worth of work. Okay, so this is where the trickery comes in that we are seeing. Okay, this is where they're starting to pull the wool over our eyes here. Okay, and so basically what they're doing is they're saying, okay, well, we are going to package it and we are going to sell it as a Bruce Willis movie. However, we, you know, obviously he can't be in the film the entire time because he's only going to be on set for you know, so long. And plus he's going to be sitting half the time. So that's not that exciting. So what we need to do is we need to hire someone who can do the heavy lifting. We need to hire someone who can be the lead star who is ostensibly going to be carrying the film. Okay. And then, so this is, this is what they do. And so that they're hiring basically young actors. Cause if you look at all of these films, fronting all of these films is always the same type of ML. Okay. They're looking for a younger actor who is handsome, okay, who is also physically fit and can do, you know, the physicality that the role may require. Hence why, okay, we are getting actors uh, of the likes of, uh, what's funny is they're, they're basically going to like TV stars of the 90s and the early 2000s, basically. So if you look at the actors in these films, we're getting like, Chad Michael Murray and Jesse Bradford and Jesse Metcalf. I think they did another one where Emil Hirsch showed up. Uh, they've, they've done a few with Frank Grillo, who I think Frank Grillo deserves much, much better, but um, they're doing that. And then what's funny, what's so hilarious is one of the more recent ones that is coming out. I think it's coming out here in the next couple of weeks as of this recording. Um, he has one called deadlock where he, where Bruce Willis is the villain and he, like takes hostage like a water dam or something like that. So who's who's the lead star in that one? But Patrick Muldoon. Like where has Patrick Muldoon? But then again, this is a young actor, and this, and the guy's like Patrick Muldoon is like got to be in his early fifties or whatever. But I guess he can right. still do the physicality that the role will require. And so they're they're going to all these various young actors who can do the role, and I I almost feel kind of bad for him because it's kind of like. You know, here are these young guys. It's like they're being told, hey, this is your shot. 
this is your big shot to be leading a movie alongside Bruce Willis. But then you see the product and it's kind of like, like, uh, this isn't that good. But what's so funny about Precious Cargo, going back to this film, is it's it's almost, it's almost, <laughs> it feels like they went down the list and they said, okay, well, Frank Gorilla wasn't available. Thomas Jane wasn't available. Stephen Dorff wasn't available. Well, let's go to Mark Paul Gosler, which try as he might. Okay. I'm not going to discredit him or anything like that. So I think he is trying in this film, but he's always going to be Zach Morris. So there is just something so hilarious seeing Zach Morris from saved by the bill running around firing pistols and, you know, shouting F bombs and everything. And it's like, dude, you can't live that down. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? I think, yeah, like like you said about this, because I think like now we're seeing even younger actors, you know, like Hayden Christensen and and um, there's another one, yep, right. Uh, Who did first that? kill? Kellen first Dip kill Friday. was one, yeah. and Kellen yeah, Lutz, Kellen yeah, Lutz. yeah. Um, you know, so so it's like yeah, and and it's very different. So one of the things um um thinking of of, of Alex Merkin um um I had Mitch Lovell from Video Vacuum on here to talk about altitude. Um, and one of the things you notice about altitude is that in a sense, um, I think Dolph kind of he, I want to say he, he doesn't take a back seat, but I, I think he kind of in his, his, in that role, he, he almost sort of like wants to let Denise Richards and, um, uh, is it, um, Greer Grammer, um, Kelsey Grammer's daughter, he almost wants to let them shine and lead the film. Um, same thing with, um, with acceleration with, um, with, uh, Natalie Byrne. It's almost like he wants to let her, her be the one that shine. Um, but yet his part is never diminished. You know, like, like when Dolph Lundgren walks on that plane in altitude, it's 100% pure Dolph Lundgren. It's, you know, it's just like, like all the attention almost goes to him, but yet he does a good, it, 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 him having a diminished part in that film is not so much like, it doesn't feel like it's, it's diminished. It feels like, or that he's mailing it in. It feels like, you know, he's kind of just taking a step back so that other people can have the spotlight. That's not what Bruce Willis does in these movies. He's not like taking a step back. So Mark Paul Gosler can have the spotlight. He's just like, I'm here. Give me 60 grand for, for eight hours of work or whatever it is. Um, and, and I think you're right with Mark Paul Gosler here that he's, he's the most Mark Paul Gosler in like the opening sequence where he's kind of, you know, he said he's, he's chipping golf balls in the water. These guys come in, it's a, 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 a some kind of a, a gun deal gone bad because again, with these movies, you really can't have any kind of deal that goes well. Um, they, they always have to go bad um, whether it's drugs or guns or whatever is being sold and traded. Um, but he kind of does it in a kind of an offbeat style, the way he, he does it. And that feels a little bit more like Zach Morris with the big chunky cell phone and the bum equipment, oversized sweatshirts and that nice kind of blonde bleach, you know, that, that, that kind of blonde surfer hair that he had on Saved by the Bell, who's yeah. you know breaking the fourth wall to talk to us and all of that. That feels more like Mark Paul Gosler when he's like mean mugging it and being like, you know, oh man, you know, we, you know, we got to get this guy. We got to do this, you know, whatever. And he's like mad at Claire Forlani because he thinks that she sold them out and all this stuff. That does like yeah, I agree with you completely. That doesn't work, you know. The 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 fight scenes they were they were interesting, but yeah, Mark Paul Gosler, where he works is in sort of more of that offbeat space, um, which I think this movie was trying to do, but you know, it, it, it it's hard to do offbeat um, at this kind of level. Oh, most definitely. I mean, and going back to what I said earlier, I I can't imagine when they were putting this film together, they said, "Oh my goodness." Mark Paul Gossler would be perfect for this role. Let's get him. I have to believe, I mean, that they went through their Rolodex of 
again, uh, fairly, you know, relatively younger, okay, handsome actors who can um, handle physicality that the role would require. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went down the list and they said, oh, Chad Michael Murray, nope, he's, he's doing you know, a one tree hill reunion or something like that. And, you know, and then, and they just said, well, wait a minute, Mark Paul Goster is available. Okay. Let's do it. Because these roles kind of like the titles that, that all these films have, I mean, but these roles are so interchangeable. That's the other thing about, about these characters is we're not given any real characterization to them at all. I mean, all we're really told about Mark Paul Gosler's character is yes, he's a thief who likes to golf, but we're never told, why he's hanging out with this sniper chick, how they got to get to know each other, how he knows the other crew that's in the film, why uh, why Bruce Willis is bad, why he's a crime lord. I mean, it's none of that. It all feels so superficial and, again, uh, uh, disposable. I honestly feel like these films are just, they're cranked out on an assembly line, you know, to to generate that money and almost to fulfill a quota. Okay, we made four movie four movies this year, you know what I mean, to kind of, you know, net those sales and next year we have an additional five lined up. I mean, it's really I mean, on one hand it's a business, so I understand it, but on the other hand it's like, man, back in the day, you know, the the guys who I looked up to, you know, Van Damme, you know, he would do one movie a year. Seagal would do about one movie a year. Bruce Willis one movie a year. And then you see Willis now cranking out like 10 movies a year and look and going back to my show I mean Dolph is really um I'd like to think he's a little bit different he has a little bit better standards but there's been years where he has five or six movies in the can okay you know these films they are just done so cheaply nowadays that um I think to sustain the lifestyles that these guys are used to they have to uh take on more roles in these shoddy productions because the the money and the value is just not there like it was back in 1999. Yeah. And I wonder too, like what you're talking about with the, you know, kind of going down the list. I mean, I wonder if, if there's almost like, um, I, I think um, when you were talking about um, on, on a previous podcast episode, you're talking about um, in the name of the King. And um, I think it was in the name of the King too, where I think Uva Bull, like his whole approach was go to an agent and find out who, who had like a couple weeks between pictures um, yep. that wanted to make a little extra money. I wonder if it's a similar thing here where it's like, okay, who do you have available? And it's like, well, okay, you go down the list and these, these three guys aren't available. Mark Paul Gosler is, you know, the, the, the agent maybe work, you know, represents all of them. And it's like, okay. They're throwing darts at agencies. That's exactly what I feel like they're doing. And what's so funny is, you know, Uva Bull he, you know, I mean, and, and look, I, I actually admire a lot of what Uva Bull does because I feel like in a lot of ways he saw the writing on the wall for what was going on here. And what's funny is he got a ton of crap and a ton of criticism for the way that he made movies when in reality, think about it, how many directors and how many studios are following the Uva Bull method of directing films where, you know, he pretty much, he goes out to various casting agencies and says, who's available. And if you look at a lot of his films, it's like really Edward Furlong, was he really the best choice for some of these roles and Tara Reed? But it's like, look, that person, okay. Was a name um, or is a name, however you want to say it and was available. And if they can get that person at cost, you know, it, it makes sense. Yeah, it's almost kind of like, and it has almost like kind of become this funny thing, right? With, with Tara Reid as an anthropologist, or you know, um, you know, some of these things that, that have happened after the fact with with his movies, um, that you know, it, it, in a way, Uva Bull kind of transcended it. But I think you're right too that in a way, he also, 
he, he almost, I don't want to say, I don't know if he pioneered this kind of film. Cause I mean, one of the funny things about him, right. Was that he was getting these huge tax credits in Germany to make his movies. And, um, you know, that was not what those tax credits were intended for. They were supposed to be like sort of furthering the art of filmmaking. And he was getting like millions of dollars to make in the name of the King and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, with these movies, it is almost like, yeah, it's like, let's get it done in, in, in a short period. I mean, like you talked about with the, the lack of, um, uh, background. I mean, Mark Paul Gosler. We don't know anything about his background. Like you said, he he he's knows a, a couple. Of, right, that's he's it. A thief, he's a thief. And right, and <laughs> we we think maybe he's ex-military because he knows a couple of military guys and he seems to know them from something and they're military guys. So maybe, but you know, we don't hear that, right? I mean, like like how much would it have taken to throw in a, a throwaway line that says that you know Mark Paul Gosler and then the the character um Genevieve Kelly, Kelly's character of Logan the the sniper that they just served together in Iraq or something like that um you know it would have been a throwaway line but at least we would have gotten some exposition um yeah it's just kind of all just sort of there um and and it, and it is one of those things where it's like you know the these movies i think they do they kind of it, it's sort of like let's pump it out and play on the fact that you know Bruce Willis is on the cover and I, you know, I wonder to what extent it works. I mean, the other thing too, I think that kind of comes up too is this sort of this law of diminishing returns. Where I remember the um the podcast. I kind of I think every time I have you on, I kind of go back to this episode where you had a, a producer Benjamin Sachs on. But um, I remember he talked about how Steven Seagal would come to him, um, you know, to, 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 you know, to, or to, uh, production companies and say, "I need another movie. I need to get another movie." And it's like, you know, I'm doing three of these. Seagal movies a year and now people aren't buying as many of them right because it's like okay if I'm going to the streaming service and I see three Seagal movies that are all from the same year you know can I cons- I really can't consume them all I can only you know I'm only going to watch one of those three probably um, and I wonder if with Bruce Willis if it's going to be the same thing where it's just like you know it, it I don't know if maybe they need to load the cast up with other people like I mean one thing that's interesting about this one is it does have Mark Paul Gossler also has uh, Claire Forlani which people probably know from Mallrats so Maybe it's a little bit better, but I think there is maybe going to be a point where these companies probably just say, you know what, is is it worth it? You know, is, can that sixty grand be spent better somewhere else? Yeah, no, I mean, and the other the other thing that's really kind of um, just grotesque about this entire thing, and I mean, I, I actually, as of this recording, I haven't uh, released it yet, but my next upcoming episode is I looked at three films that uh, that Dolph Lundgren did back in 2013, 2014 or so with director Giorgio Serafini. So Dolph did something quite similar. He did three movies, uh, Blood of Redemption, Ambushed, and Puncture Wounds. And those films are all fairly similar to, uh, to what we have going on here, to where, okay, Dolph is, you know, the biggest name in the film, but he's also going to be taken backseat to someone, you know, younger who's going to, you know, be able to kind of do the heavy lifting and carry the film, you know what I mean? And so those films all just have a, uh, uh, a cheapness to them. Like you can, you, when you watch those particular films, you can tell that, you know, they were not made with, uh, with a heck of a lot of budget, you can tell that they were filmed digitally because, you know, the, the, the quality just kind of looks cheap and everything. But what's also interesting about these films, and that's the only reason I bring it up, is just the portrayal of, uh, of, of women in the film. It, it's almost, it almost feels like these movies were written by uh, 19, 20 year olds who, you know, <laughs> just, I mean, because there's a scene in the film that serves absolutely no purpose and it just comes off as, just kind of gross, you know, and uh, uh, fairly misogynistic, but it's where um, 
Daniel Bernhardt comes uh, ar- arrives at the hotel to uh, to talk to Bruce Willis, and for no reason whatsoever, is a bunch of uh, uh, hot hot blondes are hanging out by the pool in bikinis, and he just starts Daniel Bernhardt just starts demeaning them in in a, in a pretty grotesque monologue, you know, that it, it comes off as just kind of offensive. And, you know, I mean, it, it just sticks out and it's kind of like, well, this seems out of place and just wrong. And, and I don't know, I don't know if you noticed that either, but it just, it felt really out of place. And it's kind of like, look, I realize that these movies are most likely written towards and uh, you know, they're, they're geared towards men. You know what I mean? That that's They're going to be their audience, but you know, I don't think, <laughs> I, I mean, give us a little bit more credit, don't you think? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing I think with that scene is, I think they would try to hedge what they did with that scene. Because I totally agree with you. That that scene kind of made me uncomfortable too, where he's just going on this like chauvinistic diatribe, where he, like you said, he's demeaning one woman in particular, but the whole group of women. Um, but I think they were they would try to excuse it by saying, well, he was the bad guy, so that's why he's a jerk. But it's like, no, that was kind of played for laughs. That was supposed to make us kind of laugh there, and it didn't work. Um, and the other thing, too, of course, is, is the reason why he's demeaning these women is he's asking them where Bruce Willis's character is, and they're like they they didn't want to they didn't respond to him right away, and so then he's you know he he's got to do that, which made no sense either because we all know where Bruce char- Bruce Willis's character was. He wasn't anywhere else other than in that hotel room. Um, you know, he wasn't going to be anywhere else. So it's like we're going through this whole process of he's got to go up there. And then the other funny thing, right, is that he he the next scene that we see is when that person that Claire for that this this guy in Bruce Willis's gang who's been giving away um, the jobs that they've been doing to Claire Forlani, so she gets the drop on them and, and, and does the jobs before him. The, the next scene we see is this guy in 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 that room, like in, in front of a chessboard, where we get like kind of this this pedantic, banal dialogue where we're trying to, you know, where it's all these metaphors and philosophy about how chess is and all these things that all these movies do that uh, it, it just doesn't really work either. Um, but it's like, oh, why is this guy here? How do we know that this guy got here? What, what, you know, it's like one minute Daniel Bernhard's at the at the pool, the next minute he's up in the room, and there's this guy sitting there um, with Daniel Bernhard and, and Bruce Willis. Um, so that's the other thing too is like these things tend to just happen um, that you know we don't know why how, how they get there or any of that stuff. No, yeah, ex- ex- you're exactly right. And you know what's also interesting here is, I mean, uh, if you want to compare this to you know the action films that you and I grew up with, you know, in those various action sequences, those chase sequences in those films, there there felt a um, a certain level of danger mm-hmm. and a certain you know level of threat. Okay, because again, we are given characters in those films that we care about. I mean, you know, I mean, I know it's a little unfair to compare this to something like lethal weapon, if you will. Um, actually, well, better yet, we can compare this to something like heat. Okay. Cause heat is a heist thriller, if you will. Okay. But in something like that, you have characters who are given uh, more dimension to them. You have characters who have much more depth to them. So when they're in those chase sequences, if you will, you, you really care about what's going on. And yeah, you have a good, you have a feeling. Okay. Yeah. That, the um the bad guy may get away or that the the good guy may prevail but i mean there's something there that's kind of keeping you um invested here because the characters are so one dimensional and throwaway i mean they almost feel like just you know standard archetypes if you will um in that speedboat chase sequence 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of like I mean, I I started tuning out, and I feel bad saying that because I imagine the stunt people in that scene were working pretty hard. Okay, you know, I mean, I imagine the editor editing it had to uh, you know put in a little bit of overtime, but it's kind of like look if if you're not going to give us more with the characters other than okay, Bruce Willis is a crime boss and uh, Mark Paul Gossler is an expert thief and that's it. You know what I mean? And then, and then we get the scene where he's recruiting. That's the other thing too, Matt, that, that, I, that just bothered me. And I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't mean to be going off in different directions, but in the scene where he's recruiting his team, that right. should be a really cool scene where we get some backstory on, you know, oh, this was a guy who I served with back in back in Iraq. He's a little he's a little kooky, just so you know, but um, he's 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 good at what he does. But then when we see these various characters, it's so ridiculous. I mean, we the level of dialogue that we are given here and in characterization for that matter is that one of the characters pisses the bed like that. That is what we get. That that is what we get. That 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 yeah. is the level. Is that he 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 urinated the bed, you know? I mean, there's and there's some other questionable lines of dialogue too that's supposed to be flirtatious about you know oh well you know we like to do things amorous in the bed with the light on you know but I mean obviously I said it a little bit more um, poetic and politically <laughs> yes. correct than they did, but it's just kind of like like come on like I mean is this the tasteless level of of uh, screenwriting that we're at here too? Well, right, and getting back to that chauvinistic element, right? Both of the guys that they they pick up. So, like you said, the first guy, right? He 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 vomits on the bar, and then his his girlfriend, I think, or his, his wife or whoever, shows up at the bar with the sheets that he apparently wet when he wet the bed because he's such a drunk. It's because that's it, hilarious. It, right? I, I'm, I'm sorry, but the, isn't that, isn't that funny <laughs> that a thirty something forty year old man pisses the bed? Right. Like right. I guess I guess we're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Yes, it's like under the Fozzie Bear, waka waka waka, you know. Kind of thing. I mean, come on, like yeah. But then it also has that tinge of the nagging wife, right, in there. That this guy's got to get away from his nagging wife. And then um, when, or maybe not nagging wife, but I guess because I think maybe he's a philanderer. Maybe it's just another woman yeah. or something. But the other but, guy has the nagging wife, <laughs> right? And again, it's like the, the psycho woman um like trope right she she puts his phone in 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 the, in the blender when she's making a mixed drink at this bar thing that she's at she's talking about how she's gonna go urinate on his laptop so another another urination joke we have as well there um and, and so again it's sort of these these chauvinistic tropes here and again the the one woman right the um the sniper logan she's kind of almost more masculine she has a she has a name that could go either you know be either male or female um it's it's kind of like the reverse of when you think of Point Break with um uh, Lori Petty's character of Taylor, um or Tyler. Where but, um, yeah, ex- I was thinking that too, yeah. But you know what, Ter- uh, Lori Petty's character feels real, okay, right. because she is she is a tomboy with um you know a a, a, a pretty uh, wacky haircut. We will say for the time, you know, nineteen ninety one. You know, I mean, and she she is believable as being this. Uh, Surfer, you look at all. You look at the cast of uh, of people who Mark Paul Gossler assembles when he's you know okay. I, I have this mission. I have this job. I need a team, and you get they all look like they all stepped out of an Abercrombie and Fitch like <laughs> catalog. I mean, they all look so. And I mean, look, I, I'm not saying you can't have actors that are attractive. I mean, we've been seeing this you know in in, in our action movies for a while, but it it doesn't feel real. In any kind of way, and the one actor who gets the uh, his phone 
put in the blender, I was looking at him. This is very sad that I know this, but I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, okay, I've seen this guy before. He's played a doofus before in a sitcom. What has he played a doofus in? What, where have I seen this guy? And so I had to go on IMDb and he was the love interest in that Fuller House reboot. I saw that. Yes. It's the first thing that comes up. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so, I mean, and, and that's the level of casting we have. They are literally going to um, heartthrobs from TV for this right. violent foul mouthed action movie. It's like, what are they doing? Like, <laughs> right. Right. And, and I think too, when you think kind of like, you know, like point break with um, Lori Petty's character, she's almost kind of like a metaphor for Catherine Bigelow trying to sort of make it, in in sort of the male dominated action directing world where you know she's kind of like this idea because you know the way she makes point break she doesn't really make it as a as a woman trying to be a man she kind of just makes it as like a woman sort of you know seeing these men as as kind of objects the way men see women as objects in, in action films but the tyler character right she's trying to be one of the guys and yet at the end of the movie she's just another damsel in distress you know like she's just sort of mm-hmm. reduced to that which is kind of her way you know Catherine Bigelow's way of saying like you can try to play with the guys you can try to do it the way the guys do it but ultimately you're just going to be another chick you know to them and that's kind of what this movie is too right is it's kind of like the chicks are just you know other than the sniper woman who's I mean she still gets uh, you know injured um she gets shot and she has to come back but at least she's kind of like the saving the day one so um but there is still this sense of like right that there's sort of this the chauvinistic element that Claire Forlani's character you know who who is like the woman who like kind of scorns him um you know Mark but, but then comes back back and 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 you know he can't quite quit her or something like that you wonder too with with the, the writer um you know if maybe there was a, a a a lover that did the same thing and he he wished he could have quit her and you know he's, he's writing this character into it um yeah there, there are a lot of those elements and i mean when you look at the cast like you were saying um you know i mean i recognize daniel bernhardt obviously bruce willis his headshot is like a from being in a, um, you know, a, a, a red carpet event or something like that. But a lot of them are these airbrushed headshots that are just like these, um, you know, not, not necessarily like 80s glamour photos, but you know what I mean? It's kind of like this idea, like they all kind of look the same. And you're right that they're interchangeable. I mean, if you click on any of these actors or actresses, usually you see a few of these Bruce Willis movies that pop up that they've been in as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 again, EFO, they have a Rolodex, I feel, of... Yeah you know, interchangeable actors for these films. And as long as they, you know, hit that, uh, you know, as long as they have that MO of, you know, being attractive, being relatively physically fit and, you know, is okay with um, being the lead in this film, but, you know, Hey, Bruce Willis is also in it. So he's going to get his, his face is going to take up most of the box. I think, uh, I think, you know, they're okay with that. You know, I will say regarding Mark Paul Gossler, you know, I mean, we, we kind of joked about him as Zach Morris and, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of unfortunate. He uh, is, you know, forever going to be, is, you know, be Zach Morris. I will say the dude has aged well. I mean, you know, I mean, considering, I, I think I read that he was uh, uh, born in 1974. I mean, but man, yeah. he's, he's aged, you know, pretty good considering. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of unfortunate that, um, he has, you know, I mean, I feel like when he signed on for this as being the lead in, the, in this action movie, he pretty much had two things going against him. Number one is the fact that he's in a Bruce Willis movie. Um, that right there is not going to help him out, especially at this stage in Bruce's career. And also the fact that he has that uh, that sitcom that he did for so many years that he's forever going to be 
known for. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like if you took uh, the Fonz and you put the Fonz uh, in in a in a role and you want to try and take him serious, it's just it's not going to work um, entirely. And that's why you know that's why one of the things I love about that show on HBO Barry is that uh, Henry Winkler is in it, but he's still playing kind of a a goofball, if you will, to an extent. So it works there. Yeah, I think right, like like Mark Paul Gossler. I haven't really seen the show, but I know he has the new um, that new sitcom Mixedish that's based off of Blackish. Um, or I think it's a, it's a spinoff of Blackish. Um, I think that's probably a better 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 fit for him, right? That he can kind of just be offbeat, have fun. You know, thir- you know, twenty three minutes. The the script kind of fits what he's used to. Um, you know, I think it just, I think it kind of works a little bit better, um, for, for what he, he does. I think he tried with this. I think he, he definitely puts in a performance here and he tries to make it work. Um, I think the problem is right. Is it, you know, sort of everything that's around, um, I mean, you know, there's that scene where they're on the boat, um, that, that, that chase scene on the boat where there's supposed to be like this sort of offbeat, funny dialogue happening between all of them on the boat while things are happening. And it just kind of felt like very kind of like, you know, post uh, pulp fiction derivative kind of thing where it's just like, let's throw as much irony as we can into these scenes and, 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 you know, (laughs) see how much everybody likes it. Um, And, and so I think those are things we can't blame Mark Paul Gossler for, but I think you're right. I think it's, it's easier. I think in a sitcom to watch Mark Paul Gossler and say, okay, you know, I remember him from from Saved by the Bell, but this is this is a new thing that he's doing, and it, it still kind of works. Whereas um, this movie, it's like, yeah, you're just like up oh, Zach Moore's like, when is he going to pull out the big chunky phone and start talking to somebody? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, I mean, I want to go back to what you said earlier, which is really unfortunate. Is all this would have taken? All this would have taken is just a few lines of dialogue of, hey we were in the special forces together, but we were honorably discharged or something like that. And then when we get that recruiting scene where they're, you know, trying to assemble a team, Oh, this is someone here who helped on a, on a, on that one job in Beirut or, you know, I mean, whatever it may be, but you know, it's, it's almost like we're not given any of that. And maybe, you know, you said that this uh, was apparently a short film. Maybe some of that was in that short film. Um, I don't really know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think in the end, I mean, if we, if we look at the ending real quick, uh, you know, with, you know, the, the way Bruce Willis dies, I mean, just the way his character is, um, is off is just so lackluster that you almost kind of wonder if the production would just, was just kind of petering out at a certain point and was, was just trying to not saying that they shot this entire thing, uh, chronologically in order but you know you almost feel like they just kind of wanted to quickly end it get it in the can and move on to their next uh production their next title yeah because you feel like bruce willis's character it, it seems like he's been a crime boss for a long time and the the fact that he leaves himself open for a sniper to to hit him in the back you um, telling me that he didn't i mean come on yeah he left himself <laughs> wide open yeah. To where it was, and you saw him when he was in that parking garage earlier. He had, I mean, he had a ton of uh, bodyguards with him, and he kept himself relatively enclosed. And the way he kept himself so open in yeah. that final scene, it was almost kind of like I, I wonder if Bruce Willis wasn't there that day, and they figured, what's the best <laughs> way we can do this with our stunt double? But you know, it's one of those things where it's like, come on, guys, try a little bit harder here or if anything film that scene on his first day of 
on his first day on set or something. <laughs> no, I wonder. You might be right that you might be right about that because it, you know it'd be interesting to go back and watch it and see if like there's something about those scenes where they show his face in those scenes. If if maybe it, 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 we could you know like pinpoint another scene in the film that uh, that that he was shooting that they just recycled for that. Um, I mean, you wonder too. You never know like how much footage doesn't get used in a movie that they can be recycled for those purposes. I mean. I, I, one of the things I think one of the unsung heroes of these kinds of movies is the editor. Um, yeah. the, the, the way that these editors can can do some of these. I mean, I mean, you know, again, also from a director standpoint, I mean, we always joke that um, Keone Waxman is like the Seagal whisper because um, the way he's able to, you know, kind of the same way, you know, you know Benjamin Sachs talks about working with with Seagal. Um, it seems like Keone Waxman just knows what Seagal wants from a movie and just does it does whatever he's got to do. And, 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 and I imagine in those cases, probably it's a little bit easier for the editor and for everybody else involved because it's just like, Keone Waxman gets it. Um, you wonder if maybe that's kind of start happening with Bruce Willis, that like certain directors just know, like, this is how we got to do it with Bruce. We got to just get these scenes in, get them done, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll finish it off in post. We'll, we'll get whatever we get in post. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I mean, and just the way, I mean, it's funny because the way, so Bruce Willis gets, you know, sniped right through the back bullet goes right through the chest and just the way he falls to the ground dead. I mean, they do it in slow motion and everything. It's clearly it's Bruce Willis falling, but you can tell that either he wasn't entirely there that day, or maybe they took some footage and they, you know, digitally kind of remastered it and reverse angled it to make it. I mean, but just the way he falls to the ground is so, you know, pathetically shot and so yeah i kind of wonder if maybe they reused it i mean there's a wonderful um you should check it out it's on it's on youtube it's pretty funny actually but um john candy's last movie wagons east oh yeah yeah so if you watch it um because john candy died during production they had to finish the film but there are a couple scenes and you can find them on youtube where they recycled shots they recycled scenes. And one of the most famous ones is him at a bar and he's putting down a beer bottle or he's putting, putting down a whiskey bottle or whatever. And so they recycled that in the film multiple times. And so considering the state of uh, Bruce and where he's, uh, where he's at, I think I wouldn't be surprised if these, if these guys at EFO, if they're recycling scenes of Bruce in other movies, in fact, you know what I mean? Like I'm not putting it past them that uh, (laughs) 10 minutes gone, we see a shot of him in precious cargo and they just digitally changed his suit color or something, you know? Yeah. I you know, made a really great point. It's, you know, think of like, like PM entertainment who, um, you know, they use like, like recycled footage of helicopters exploding or police cars flipping over um, or, or those kinds of things. Um, so it makes you wonder, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they, they're able to go back. I mean, the, I mean, cause if you think about it, there's a lot of things that are the same about these movies. Um, the suits tend to be the same. Um, he tends mm-hmm. to always have like these, the, 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 the sport coat with no tie or maybe a sport coat, you know? So, so like, there's a lot of times where he's wearing a similar outfit. It, it wouldn't take much to make it happen. Um, you know, somebody made this montage of, of pictures of him in recent films where he's tied to chairs. And I guess that's a new thing. Like his character is always tied to a chair, which, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're Bruce Willis, I mean, that, that can't be horrible. Right. Because it, again, you're just sitting, um, you know, he probably just has to put his hands behind the, the seat back too. He probably, you know, it's not like there's any kind of, you know, difficulty involved with that. Um, so it's again, similar thing, right. If, if, if 
all these movies have that. It's very possible that they're recycling the footage, um, which you know is great for Bruce Willis because you know I mean I, I imagine he's got the SAG card, um, so they can't use his likeness without him getting paid a certain amount of money. Um, so yeah, I mean I mean I don't know what the number is. I mean I'm I'm, put, I'm saying sixty grand um, for for a day's worth of work. Um, maybe maybe it's more. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know either. But, you know, in the end, I mean, thank you for um, because I feel like this is this is a trend that I'm surprised. I mean, I don't know uh, how many other podcasts have been looking at it, but this is a trend that, um, you know, really needs to be looked at uh, in terms of the direct to video market. I mean, the budgets just aren't there that much anymore. Um, You know, the DVD and Blu-ray market has shrunk considerably and so now um a lot of these films are um you know thrown onto the streaming services so when you're going into it with that mindset already of course the uh, the films the products that we're going to be seeing are going to be of a cheat of a you know cheaper quality um having said all that though if this is what we're getting from bruce i'm i'm okay not not seeing another <laughs> another film because i know what i know what it is and i almost i almost feel like you know what what it what needs to happen is there needs to be a mutiny of some kind or a revolution of some kind where fans, okay, if you will, or consumers, we just need to stop, okay? Because I mean, obviously, these films are generated, um, you know, the, the the budgets are generated from the foreign sales, but I mean, obviously, they're also getting sales from, uh, you know, the what few consumers, and I feel like the results just are not that good. We just need to stop. Okay, I I honestly wonder if 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 as consumers we quit paying the money to rent these or we quit paying the money to stream them on these services or anything like that. If maybe eventually EFO will see that um, there's not much of a market for Bruce Willis anymore, and we can uh, we can be spared any more of this. But it's I have not seen anything that has come out of that company that has been that has been worth noting. So. Uh, uh, my my PSA for everyone will be: if you see EFO in front of any of these films, you need to avoid it. The trailer may look good, but the result is just going to be slop. So yeah, yeah. Grindstone is a, is another one. They you know whenever you see, I mean, it's funny when we talk about these names because you know if you think about like in the eighties and nineties, it was like you know you see Canon across the front, you're like, oh, this is going to be good, or you know, uh, PM Entertainment or Vestron Video, you know, and um even things like Imperial, you know, or, or you know. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other great ones, um, but you know, you, you'd see those 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 logos flash across the screen, and you'd be like, "Yeah, this is going to be kind of some fun, like low budget cheese that I'm about to enjoy here." Yeah. Um, and now it's like you're seeing these ones like Grindstone, Accelerator. Um, what, what I know, Seagal has his own. That's like um, I, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's got like a a sword or something. It's it's the 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 logo for it. Oh but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. EFO filming. It. You see these, and you're just like, "Oh boy, here we go." You know, I'm I'm in for another one of these ones, yeah. and um, yeah, and I think you're right. I think there does maybe you know, I know my site is one that tends to to I, I tend to gravitate towards movies that have names in them, um, to to review because, you know, those are the ones that people tend to you know, oh Matt reviewed that one with with this. I want to see what he has to say about Bruce Willis. Let's let's see what he you know, and I'll probably end up reviewing this one for the site because I usually do after I do the podcast. Like I usually, you know, a month or so later, I'll I'll uh, review the film just to kind of maybe try to get a little bit of a boomerang effect on the podcast episode, um, you know, kind of give it a secondary bump. Um, so I probably will be reviewing this, but I think you're right. I think there, there, there has to come a point where, you know, not only do we kind of stop watching, but maybe even from a review site standpoint too, that we, you know, 
I, I stop, you know, talking about Bruce Willis movies. And I mean, cause all the big ones will do it. Like anytime there's a Bruce Willis movie that comes out, you'll see like the, the kind of the bigger ones, you know, they get screeners and they're just like, Hey, you know, Bruce Willis is in this new movie and it's just Bruce Willis's bald head, you know, open dress shirt, no tie sport coat. There he is. And, um, yeah, I wonder if that's what it's going to have to take. Cause I agree with you. I think, you know, kind of getting back to the state of direct to video, I think you were talking about this a little bit with Dolph Lundgren. I think one of the things you were talking about with me, cause I'm, I'm kind of the, uh, I'll talk any Dolph anytime. Um, so I think some of those movies in the, he did in like in the 2010s that weren't so hot. Um, you know, you, you, you were talking about maybe struggling to find people to want to talk about some of those movies. Um, but it, it kind of there, there's something around 2010 where the direct-to-video industry in general just starts to kind of take a bit of a nosedive, and you just aren't seeing a lot. It, it, you're seeing more of more precious cargos than you're seeing, you know, name a, a good one like like Altitude that I, I you know that I, I thought was good or I enjoyed, um, you know, or, or some of those other ones that were a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's um, it's a sad kind of state of. Uh, of affairs, I guess we can say, but, but then again, um, you have these stars who like, we keep saying are past their prime. And, um, you know, you have these, these companies that really aren't working with much in terms of, in terms of budgets. And then again, if the key, if the consumer audience, this is something I echoed on my uh, recent recording, but I mean, if the consumer audience, okay, is pretty much going to be watching these films, but saying, Eh, I will wait for that to pop up on Netflix or eh, I'll wait for it to be free. Okay. Well then that right there is not giving them much to work with because, and which, like I said, no way would I have paid six 99 to watch this. Okay. But, but then again, I mean, if, if I'm glad that it's free, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, look, I mean, I, I understand, I understand where they're coming from, but on the other hand, like I'm not going to be paying anything to, to watch this if this is what the quality is going to be you know what i mean yeah i mean the other thing for me too is because there's so much that's available streaming like you take a guy like scott atkins who's like really really getting after it right now with action stuff and he's, he's in a lot of really great things um his movie that he did recently with um mario van peoples seized um is now available on netflix and it, it was originally only available for rent now my take on it was, well, there's so many Scott Atkins movies that are available for free that I haven't seen yet. I feel like I should watch those first before I pay to rent um, one of those. On the other hand, like Dolph is one that I I have paid to rent. Um, I think actually his last, his three most recent ones, I think, no, I think Acceleration I got on Hoopla, but I did pay for um, Hard Night Falling. And um, I think I may have paid for Tracker. I can't remember. Um, yeah, so, so I, I, I have shelled out the money for, for the Dolph ones, um, just because, and I, and who knows, Pups Alone, I might do the same if it's three bucks to rent, I might, um, just to, you know, I, with the new Dolph ones, I will. So I guess there are some that I will pay to rent, but the other thing too, is I've seen all the Dolph ones. So it's, it's not like I have any catching up to do with Dolph movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it, I mean, look, I, it's, it's, it, I feel like this is important information. We need to, we need to let the public know that, you know, we need to stop. We need to stop giving EFO our money. We need to stop giving Bruce Willis our money. If we, if we want him to go back to doing something, I think where he truly cares, then um, we just need to stop with this and have him wait for something good to come out. I mean, I feel like the last thing I saw where um, he seemed somewhat alive and, uh, uh, 
like he gave a damn was death wish, but even that wasn't, uh, wasn't stellar. And, uh, and to be perfectly honest, I'm kind of surprised that that one even got a theatrical release, but, um, in any case, but no, I really do appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for, uh, for letting me, uh, I, I feel like in the end, I feel like all I did was vent and I feel bad. I, I feel like I was totally negative and all I did was vent, but I mean, come on. I mean, they, these, these, these dudes are, um, they're, it, it's, it's a money line. It doesn't even feel like a, pro, a movie production studio. I mean, that, that's, and that's what's sad. I mean, I joked that it was money laundering. I, I don't know. Um, but it doesn't even feel like they're, you know, what's sad about it is it doesn't feel like they, their intent is to make good movies. And I think that's what's sad. I mean, you, you looked, you mentioned Canon earlier, but Canon films, that was a company who, yeah, they had some questionable material, but you know, that was, that was two cousins. That was two guys who honestly were trying to make really good movies. And, um, you know, I think the editors on these things are working hard. I think the actors, depending on the, you know, day, maybe they're invested, but, um, I don't think Emmett Furlaw and, oasis are are really uh invested in making good products no no i I think you're right and i think yeah i think you make a great point with like canon pm i mean pm there's sort of this crass understanding or this crass mindset with them that like oh it's just like you know just throw cars you know flip cars and blow up helicopters and just you know throw everything together but you know the one thing that the pm did was that they had an action sequence every like you know 10 minutes or so in their movies and they were good action sequences i mean you look at the action sequences here um you get some explosions but i mean you know that that initial boat chase scene it's really just like people shooting at each other and not hitting anything um that's not Mm -hmm. really action to me you know people shooting at each other and not hitting anything um you know it's like what's the point all you're doing is just extending this thing out until finally somebody you you know the, the 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 movie decides that somebody gets hit with a bullet and they fall off the boat or they fall you know and like you said there's stuntmen who are really risking you know their their life or you know they're they're risking their 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 health on these scenes right you know flying off the jet skis flying off moving boats and all of that kind of thing so i don't want to make it sound like i'm saying the scene is not you know being adequately you know portrayed it's just that it's it's kind of padding in that sense where it's just people you know it's like we just need to make this boat scene last a certain amount of time um and then we'll just decide when when, it, when it's over that's when it's over and mm-hmm. it when it, when a when a movie does that kind of thing i don't know it just doesn't you know it's like you said it's almost cynical in a way that it's just like let's just put these people on the boats and like have them shoot at each other and you know eventually the bullets will do something yeah yeah so well uh matt it's it's been a ton of fun and i i'm going to hold you to it man because i'm I'm at a period now in uh, in Lundgren's filmography where uh, um, th- th- there are there are a few diamonds in the rough, but there's some uh, there's some questionable ones that are kind of similar actually in terms of uh, tone and taste as this one. So uh, I may uh, I may be calling upon you, or maybe more or less I may be begging you, I guess, to to join me if you're willing. So. No. I, I, like I said, I mean, I did final inquiry. So I, I feel like if, if I've done final inquiry, you, you, you know that I can do any of my, the, the one that I disliked the most was ambushed. I think that was the one because that one was what, you know, when I think of bait and switches, like, you know, you know, Bruce Willis being on the cover, but he's barely in the movie. It's a bait and switch, but ambushed had a trailer bait and switch where the trailer made it sound like it was going to be this really great, like mono a mono thing between Dolph Lundgren and this drug dealer played by uh, Randy, the natural couture. And instead, it's like some like jackass guy, like mm-hmm. who's 
you know, and it, and those two are like off on the periphery. And I was just so mad that I didn't get that movie that I just that that one to me always will kind of go down as my wor- as the worst uh, Dolph Lundgren movie for me. Well, I will say that that episode will be dropping in uh, early September or so. Um, I, I we we I called it the uh, the the Serafini trifecta. So Actually, that, like that 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 episode will be dropping. I don't know when this one will be coming out, but uh, stay tuned uh, on my feed. But we're going to be looking. It's going to be a, it's a ninety minute conversation. We knock them all out, ambushed, blood of redemption, and uh, puncture wounds all in one shot. Excellent. I can't wait. So so yeah. What well, well, we're wrapping up here, Sean. If you want to tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, um, if you are interested in uh, hearing more of my ramblings and musings, I guess, uh, I look at the uh, the films of uh, Dolph Lundgren, and um, we go in chronological order. Uh, me and a special guest each episode take a, one, of, uh, a, one of Mr. Lundgren's films, and we pick it apart and just overall... Give it, give it a review, I guess. And uh, in between the episodes, I've been fortunate. Uh, we have some interview episodes where I've gotten to talk with directors and screenwriters and stunt performers and everybody in between who has uh, worked alongside uh, Mr. Lundgren on these films. So uh, check it out. It's called I Must Break This Podcast. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I think everybody out there, you, you should... Um you know, like, and subscribe. It is like, I, I, I mean, I love, you know, the conversations about the films. I think, um, I think one that I really enjoyed, I think was when you did the universal universal soldier ones that, you know, those two, uh, John Hyams, um, uh, DTV sequels were really great, but I love too the, the, the conversations with people in the industry, because, um, it, it, it seems like they, when they start talking, like they really give some real gems about, uh, real, real gems about how these kinds of movies are made um, that kind of gives us a nice perspective on these, that we're not just watching them, but we kind of, you know, um, the people who are making them kind of tell us some of the challenges they face and, um, but also some of the, the good things about it as well. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's, it's a ton of fun. Um, it uh, got off to a bit of a rocky start. It's funny as I look at some of the early episodes and anybody who goes back and listens in it chrono- chronologically, I do apologize. I feel like it took me a bit to, find my footing. I think all podcasts do that as well. But, um, now that, uh, now that I've found my footing, uh, I splice in, uh, uh, trailers and, uh, uh, clips from the movie and things of that nature. And, uh, it's a ton of fun. So. Yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's funny. I'm kind of the same with my podcast. I, I I have early episodes. I mean, one of the things too is Talkshoe had a a server crash, and I lost like the first like um, I don't know how many of my episodes there. I have to I have them on my computer somewhere. I've got to just upload them again um, on there. So um, so some of my old ones I don't even have them anymore right now. They're not available. So so I know I know what you mean. Kind of sort of getting the hang of this kind of thing. I have a few, I have a couple episodes too where. Um... The, the the joys of editing really hadn't uh, struck with me just yet. And so, you know, there's a lot of uh, ums and you knows. And uh, on one of my episodes, it's my Universal Soldier episode as well. Um, midway through the conversation, uh, it, it sounds like I keep cutting my uh, my guest off. And that's not the intent at all. I just, at the time, I didn't really know how to fix that. So, you know, but it's, you know, it's, it's trial and error and uh, it's, you know, in the end it's, it's fun. So. Yeah. yeah eventually. Yeah. Eventually we kind of get the hang of these kinds of things. The other thing too, is we're not like Joe Rogan. We're not getting paid $150 million to do the podcast. So um, wow. we've got to, we got to find out, find the, the way to do it with the resources we have and the time we have available. If I got paid $150 million, I would, create my own production studio and try and make better films than EFO. 
I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yes. Well, you'd, this one was ten million, so you'd be able to make fifteen uh, uh, of these. No, no, you know what? No, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do two. If I can at least do two <laughs> solid films, that's better than the right. crap that these guys do. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think that's a, yeah. a perfect note to leave it on. So th- thank you again, Sean, for coming on. This was a, a great conversation. I think we, we kind of birthed the idea for this, I think, when I was on, uh, when we were talking about Expendables, and I think Bruce Willis came up, and then I, I think you had found a Vice article about these, about kind of the, the, the turn that his um his movies had taken, and we thought, why don't we just do a, a Bruce Willis movie and talk about that? Yeah, yeah. No, this has been a ton of fun. So um, so thank you, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon, okay? Absolutely. Thanks again for coming on, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. And and, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll we'll be back soon as well. Bye, everyone. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.